This podcast is brought to you by sarahraven.com, which is home to everything you need for a truly beautiful and productive garden. You'll also find great and essential gardening kit and stylish, lovely things to have in your house to bring the outside indoors, all inspired by the garden and the house being tied together. There's also plenty of garden inspiration, how-to videos and specialist growing guides. So head over to sarahraven.com today to discover even more. Welcome to Grow Cookie to Range, the podcast of me, Sarah Raven, and my old friend who lives in the Netherlands, who is Dutch Green Von Boxtel, who you met last week because we, we did a podcast episode on bulbs and grass. And I've come back to Green again this week to talk to her about bulbs and woodland, because to be honest... I, I know few gardeners, um, in fact, I really don't think I know any gardener that knows more about bulbs, particularly about naturalizing bulbs than Kareen. And I've been going to Holland with her maybe now for about 15 years, and she's taken me to the most wonderful gardens. I was inspired by Great Dixter and the incredible naturalized bulbs there. And I've seen similarly beautiful sites, which I'm sure Queen will talk about in our talk. So welcome, Queen. It's lovely to have you back again. Thank you, Sarah. I'm happy to be back again. Oh, good. So we're going to do the similar format that we've done, which I know lots of the listeners like, which is our 12, well, not our, uh, Kareen's 12 favorite <laughs> bulbs for naturalizing in shade basically so whether it's at the bottom of the hedge under a tree in your garden or even if you've got a more expansive area and you've got perhaps a little area of woodland these are the bulbs that kareen really recommends for planting now in the autumn to look fabulous next spring and for many many springs after that so kareen what is your number one well, my number one uh, is a familiar one because it's um, it's a snowdrop, the galantis, and uh, well, there there are more than one galantis, as you as you will know. <laughs> I'm not a galantophile as such, but um, I do love the common galantis nivalis, mm. which is the common snowdrop, and that is one of the best to um, to multiply in your garden. Helped by ants, by the way. Did you know that? Oh, I knew that was cyclamen. No, tell me, tell us about. Yeah, yeah. Well, all of the well, a lot of these bulbous plants, especially spring bulbs, when they are seeding in uh, their seed heads, attached to it is a, a little. Well, we call it a mirebroodje, an ant's bread, piece of bread. It's ah. it's head, uh, sugary. And um, it's it's food for for ants and for their larvae, and they take it to their nests. And while they they are carrying that, it's an enormous load for the small small ant. They they are seeding. They are helping to spread the seeds of the galantis. So that is very in, an interesting uh, strategy for um, naturalizing. So the ants are really helping us in our gardens. So I won't expect spend a lot but what is so good about uh, the snowdrop that it it can really be anywhere whether in the meadow in a more shady area 
And with shade, I mean the shade of trees and shrubs, because that, I think, is a very important aspect of all of these plants. They, they don't, do not particularly thrive in shade, but they thrive in the, in the opportunity before the leaves appear. So the shade of buildings is is something else, obviously, because um, we have well, they they all of these plants that I'm going to discuss, they are looking for their perfect opportunity when the when the bottom of the garden, when your floor of the garden, will have a spot of sun. So they they, they are shade loving, but they need light anyway. But that's because the the spring is offering them just the right amount of light. So that that is what's so interesting about bulbs, especially, because you need the light. And um, they can thrive in shade later on. They're perfectly fine. Um, but in March or April or even May, they need that spark of sunlight. It's good to know. So buildings are, are something else, obviously, yeah. Okay, and if you planted them in full sun, would they do as well as in this dappled shade? Galantis probably, yes, okay. I think I think so, yeah. Well, well, they are sometimes a bit hidden by the grass if you plant them in the meadow. Yeah. So completely dry, uh, in a dry garden, they won't thrive, I, I think. They need humus and… Um, moisture. Moisture, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, brilliant. And what's your number two? Yeah, that that is um, not to not everyone's taste, but I love them. They're the arums. I'm not really sure what your lords English... and la- lords and ladies. Well, that's a beautiful name for them, because I I I'm not particularly fond of the flowers. And the berries are nice, the orange berries, but um, I love the leaves, and uh, they give me a lot of winter interest. Especially the italico with this lovely stripy patterns on them. And they are a great backdrop for snowdrops or whatever. So, And they're often forgotten or people think they're a pest because they, they can spread. But I think that's a, that's a bonus. And in English, they're called lords and ladies because the spathe of the female is a different colour. I think the spathe of the female is yellow and the spathe of the male is brown. I think something like that. Anyway, yeah, they're pollinated by uh, by flies, not yes. bees. So that's and they they could smell a bit, but yes. never mind. Never mind. <laughs> okay, never perfect. mind. Next, next one, another one that is often forgotten, forgotten because um, people tend to hate yellow. Well, a lot of people, not not everyone. I'm certainly not. And this is um, again, I do not know your English name, but we call it uh, Erantus. Yeah, hi, hi, Melis. Yeah, so these are aconites in English. Aconite, we say winter aconite. And there are two. So there's uh, Cilicia, Cilicia, and there's Hyamalis, uh, where the, the first one is the Turkish variety. And actually, I prefer that a little bit more than the, the Hyamalis, which is the European variety, because it, the, the flowers are more visible. So they have a little green color. The flowers, they are surrounded by a green color. And the silicia, the color is a bit smaller, so the flower is more visible. And they flower exactly in the same period as nivalis. 
And um, I've seen woodlands covered in um, Galantis nivalis in combination with this uh, golden yellow of the Erantis, and it's simply magical. Yes, I've seen them with you. I've seen them with you in, in the Netherlands. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Next, Erythronium. Erythronium. Uh, dog's tooth, I think. Yes, dog's, dog's tooth, tooth violet. Yeah. 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 Violet. Okay. We say hornstand. And, uh, well, you and I know why, but uh, when you look at the, uh, the tuber, then uh, you see the shape of a dog's tooth. Yeah, uh, it looks it's like our <laughs> canine teeth. Yeah, it's, it's funny, but um, they're also often forgotten because, uh, well, it's, it, it's rare in gardens, and I think that's a shame. It's a beautiful plant, again, for um, its elegant flowers. It's like a mini lily. Yeah, the sort of acid green that you love so much, uh, especially pagoda, which is my favorite, by the way. Yeah, and um, the leaves are very beautiful as well, spotted leaves. So don't forget that. And it's a it's a great great bulb. It it doesn't spread that fast, so you need a special place for it, and uh, not just a one, but um, always uh, a group. But uh, don't don't forget that one. It's really really beautiful. I remember as a child botanizing in the foothills of the Dolomites and um, dog's tooth violets, just the, the species, wild pink cloud form, with those uh, beautiful dappled leaves again. I remember finding carpets of those uh, just outside uh, the town of Azalo and getting terribly excited. I agree. I, I think they're incredibly undergrown. I think it's because they're quite expensive to buy and they take a while to settle in, you know, almost like nereens or something. But I think they're really underused and um, I adore them too. Totally agree. Good. Um, next, another, oh, what, what an easy one. It's uh, the, the Colgium vernum, vernum. We all know the estivu, which is the more snowdrop. I think this is then the spring snowflake, snowflake in your language. So it's a bit of confusing because people think they are snowdrops. And they're not. They're um, low collagens. And then the, the, the more well-known one, the estivum, that grows very tall. And you also have the rabbit eye giant. It's more um, for sun and in humid places. But the vernum is, um, is quite small and quite special. But it is a bit tricky. But I love it so much because it's so early. And I've seen them for the first time in the arboretum Columned out in Belgium, the, the gardens of Jelena de Belder. She was friends with Bess Chetto and, and a great plants woman. And um, you can still see small groups in the garden there. They're also in the um, Amstelveense Heenparken, where you and I went. The native parks that are, were founded in the uh, 30s of last century. And um, but you can you can see that it's, they are a bit tricky because the groups are not expanding, but they're so special. So yeah, let's move on to a more simple one, which is the bird in a bush. Yes, also native in our country, probably yeah. native in your country, and but there are many interesting um, cultivars in. Beautiful colors, so I tend to use them a lot in my mixes, mm. as they provide lovely 
ferny leaves, yeah. uh, the fresh green that you love so much in that in that time of year, and then um, these lovely spurry flowers, and they come in coral or even bright red, purple. Um, so you have Beth Evans, which is the beautiful coral variety. And I love to sprinkle them uh, around uh, early tulips or um, because they are a great backdrop and not to be forgotten. And if they are really feeling at home, then they will spread. Yes. And even if they don't spread, they, um, they come back for decades. And so, again, in a way, like the erythroniums, um, not erythroniums, anyway, uh, the dog's tooth violets, they... Um, they are expensive to buy, but that you'll be looking at them in 50 years' time. And, and that's what I think is wonderful about them. And by the way, everybody, all the Latin names and the places that Corrine is mentioning are the gardens to visit uh, next spring or as winter turns to spring. We'll put in the podcast notes. So, so you don't have to take notes because you can just download them from the, from the website. And so lovely. I totally agree. The Corridalis family are fabulous. And so you're number eight. Yeah, I forgot all about the Corridalis cava, which is your hollow root. And that's actually my fa- my absolute favorite in the whole of the family. Okay. Because it's bigger than all the others. And the, the flowers are also very visible and big. And um, they really, really stand out. But um, next, number eight. On my list, it says the anemone. Yes. And um, obviously anemone is a very big family of plants. And I am referring to the, the, the Nemorosa family. So the woodland anemone, which is, well, one of my favorite shade-loving bulb, I think, because it spreads. And in the hay parks that I mentioned just now, they're now considered a weed. Mm. <laughs> they're actually, they form Big, big carpets. And it is one of the only shade-loving bulbs that also thrive in not-so-fertile soil. So I've seen them in woodlands in the Netherlands where, where there is sandy soil, whereas most of these woodland bulbs and, and tubers, they thrive in more fertile, wet and um, soil with a lot of humus. But this one seems to feel at home in uh, less fertile conditions. And they come in in many cultivars. um, And there's a lovely uh, yellow one that I love. And obviously the the blue one, which is incredible, the light blue one named after William Robinson, the Robinsoniana. And if you you manage to, to grow a big group of them, then we will be mesmoized. So on to Stilla, and uh, especially um, the Siberica. It can be in shade. It can be. It, it thrives under under hedges, and um, so that's a great one. And I love it so much because it it has this, this dark blue, probably you will say Venetian blue that we <clears> love so in the in the, in the spring. So another favorite, and there's a cultivar that's called Spring Beauty. Mm. And it has uh, bigger, uh, larger stems. Yes. So it's better for picking. Yes. <laughs> for our lovely little uh, posies that we love so much in the spring. Mm. Yeah. So number 10. Well, that is also not anyone's favorite, but I love it. But be careful with it. It's the um, Allium ursinum, which is 
uh, in your country known as the wild garlic. Yes. And we say das loog. Das is badger. And um, badgers eat their, their feet on, on them. In the Haim parks, again, it's, a, it's a, just a perfect spot to see all of these uh, spring flowering uh, bulbs. They are very careful with them. There's only one location where they can grow because they, well, they are so invasive that they will, um, well, they will, <laughs> they will fight all the other plants. And But in your woodlands, I've seen them side by side with um, the bluebells. Yes. Yes, that's absolutely right. And that, so the, the wild garlic is in the damper, slightly darker ground, and the bluebells are in the slightly higher, lighter ground, further up in the wood. And they literally, they're almost like fingers sort of crossing with each other. And they, they, they're balanced. They're completely balanced. The, the wild garlic doesn't invade the bluebell area, and the bluebell area doesn't invade the wild garlic. It's been the same for 30 years since we've lived here. And it's beautiful. Is that because of you? You have banks and height differences. Yeah. No, we don't have that much in the Netherlands. Yeah, that could be. And they also, what is also so interesting is that all of these plants, they have, they work together with the roots and the mycorrhiza yeah. in the soil, and that could be a, a whole separate podcast. But it's the, on how all of these plant groups works work together. It's not just a shade. Yeah. It's also the humus, the leaves that fall from the trees that will provide for humus or more humus. Yeah. Um, what is next on our list, Sarah? The bluebell. Well, it's a bit um, strange that because it's in your country, they're sort of a holy flower, aren't they? Yeah, they are really. Well, yeah. They are. And um, I remember very well when I saw it for the very, very first time. Uh, somewhere in Kent, I think in a coppiced woodland or a woodland that has been coppiced for for a long 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 time in fact that coppicing is uh, important because that provides the light yeah. and also the, the the leaves of um of the hazel they uh, uh deteriorate they compost very well very quickly and that's also a very important condition but the magic of those blue woodlands. Whenever I get a chance to design a, 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 a little bit of a woodland garden, I immediately advise my client, plant bluebells. I must confess that all the bluebells that, that we can buy here in Holland are from Europe country. Yeah. So, uh, so they're the native rather than the Hispanic one. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Hispanic one, well, I don't need to explain. I, I didn't add it on my list, although I love it. Uh, the, the Spanish bluebell, but uh, you cannot plant it uh, too close together because they will cross and uh, you won't have the magical bluebell with its bended flower head that we love so much. And the perfume you don't get in the Spanish, do you? Exactly. And um, yeah, well, who doesn't love a bluebell? But it's in our country, it's not very, although it's native in our country, but only in a couple of places still growing but mm, most people don't think immediately about bluebells that's interesting yeah and the final one is also very perfumed yes yes it was my grandmother's favorite convalaria maialis which we call lelietje van dalen and in your country it's lily of the valley i think yeah well, the Mayflower, the, the French present uh, a bunch of it on the 1st of May. 
It's very poisonous, by the way, and you shouldn't plant it uh, next door to the wild garlic. <laughs> I once had a client who sent me a picture and said, can we make pesto out of these leaves? Oh, gosh. And, no. <laughs> it's sometimes hard to, uh, to see the difference, yeah. especially when there's no flower yet. But I always, well, use your nose. Uh, yeah. The olive. yeah, use your nose. Yeah. And you can use your nose when, when this is in flower and it's magical. And I've seen carpets of it again in the Haim parks, but also in the wild, in, uh, in, in, um, especially in Limburg, which is in the south of the Netherlands. And it's just magical and it's so easy. And there's also a pink cultivar that I love, but that's, that's a bit more tricky. It, it's not naturalizing as well as the, um, as the species one. So that will be my list. That's fantastic, Cream. But will you just give us a few pointers um, as somebody who plants more of these bulbs than anyone I know on, on how to plant and are there any sort of tips to success? Because some of the bulbs that we've talked about are quite expensive. So we don't want anyone to sort of waste their money in a way. So, so what, any, any sort of key tips? Well, I, I've, I've already mentioned light and shadow. So when you're planting, it's full and the leaves are still on the tree. So you must imagine how your garden looks like in spring and whether there will be light on that spot that you want your your bulb. So you need to be sure that you will have that. It doesn't need to be light all day, but sort of half a day. That's important. Don't plant any of these underneath evergreen trees because then, well the soil there is just not good enough uh, there's no shade obviously because the, the, the leaves are still on the tree so don't do that if you think that your garden is not there's not enough humus then mm-hmm. it, it's advisable to make leaf mold that is such a good thing to have to, to spread in winter and all your bulbs will love it. They will love the extra feed. And um, it is also advisable to uh, test your soil because most of the plants that I've mentioned, they are loving a pH value of six or more. So ah, okay. that's why a lot of populations, older populations of these plants in Holland, you can find them uh, near ruins or where buildings used, used to be. Because uh-huh. the, the, the stone debris still in the soil, so that is in fact uh, very good for for your plants. And um, also, your path through if you have a woodland garden or a woodland bit, then it is advisable to have paths made of seashells mm. because that that will provide for a lot of chalk in the hay parks. You can even see that around the edges or uh, the edges of the paths, they're more floriferous because uh, the rain sort of takes care of the spreading of the chalk. Yeah. So limey limestone is is really so. So the key thing is not too acid, is what we're saying. So anything you can do to to lime up your soil. Oh, that's so interesting. Do you know? I really didn't know that. That's such a good tip. Yeah, and maybe well, one of my credos is uh, always more is more. Mm-hmm. So I know bulbs are expensive, especially in your country. 
but maybe you can get some snowdrops from a neighbor or someone else. Yeah. Uh, that's also a strategy. Or um, and try to help nature by uh, digging uh, your plants up and to spread them out, divide them. So um, and well, make sure that you have ants in your garden. So <laughs> they're important. And well, try to buy more of one variety than ten of each. That will be my advice. If you have a lot of ivy or brambles or nettles hanging around in your garden, make sure that you take most of that away because the bulbs don't love it. Some mm. people say, oh, I plant my, my anemones in between my ivies um, that cover the ground. Mm. But it's not advisable, nor are brambles or nettles. Mm. All of these plants love the same conditions as as our bulbs, and it's always a big contest between plants. And uh, so we need to help them a bit. Yeah, of course. And my last tip is, um, well, don't let your dogs into your woodland garden. <laughs> 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 well, dig your bulbs up or, um, or uh, yeah. So, of course, dog in a garden is all very nice, but if you have just a small patch of woodland and 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 spring bulbs that would be a shame yes and in many situations i see big holes where they're from dogs where they dug and they dig up the bulbs so um, that would be my main um, like like badgers like badgers and, and and moles also um well badgers and moles that belong to our our nature and uh, but the, actually i have I have a lot of moles in my garden, and then then I see all kinds of bulbs coming 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 up. So I have to replant them. Oh, and funny, yeah, they they, they kick them out, and you have to re yeah, yeah, re yeah, put yeah, them yeah. in. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. Do you? Can I have just a one more advice? Of course. It is a good idea if you want to plant them. Don't lay them in in neat rows, but a nice way of of spreading and to create a more naturalistic group is to, well, to throw them. So two hands full of bulbs and then throw them and plant them where they land. So that's nice to do with children, by the way. They love it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so you, you do that in big landscaping projects. I do that, but only when, where, because if they land in between plants, then you won't see them. So that, that, that can be a bore. But I try to do that, especially when I'm doing projects with um, with children or with community gardens. People love that. Mm. That's totally fantastic. So I'm just going to recap. So number one was a snowdrop and Galanthus novalis. Number two was the Lords and Ladies, Arum maculatum or Italicum. Number three was the Aconite, Aranthus hyamalis. Number four was Erythronium, the dog's tooth violet. Number five was the unusual snowflake, Leucogium vernum. Uh, number six and seven were both Corridalis. One was Solida and the other was Carver. Um, number eight was various uh, wooden enemies, so the anemone nemorosus. Number nine was Acilla um, siberica, particularly spring beauty for its extra stem length. Uh, number 10 is the wild garlic, Allium ursinum. Number 11 is our native wild bluebell, Hyacinthoides non scripta. And finally, number 12 is Lily of the Valley, Convalaria majalis. Well, what a fantastic 
list that is. And, um, you know, even if one can only do, as you say, perhaps one or two one year, one or two the next year, I think you're completely right. It's best to go in number with one thing and then follow it the next year with another rather than do ditty, ditty, dotty, dotty. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I forgot all about a cyclamen. And you did. Um, I did. I'm so sorry. And there, there are so many beautiful ones. And right now we have the heterofolium, heterofolium in flower, yeah, which is the autumn cyclamen. And then the coolum will be in flower in spring. And um, right now I, I love also the colchicums. They're so great in woodland. There are the, those, those pinks that we love so much. The pinks in October from the nerines, the asters. The cyclamens and the naked ladies—they sort of the last, last summery bit before everything turns brown and and black. Very good. All right, Corinne, thank you so much. Lovely to talk to you. Lovely to talk to you, and see you soon, hopefully. I hope you enjoyed listening to Corinne van Boxtel. I find her knowledge just incredible to tap into and I thought you would too. Next week lovely Arthur is back and we're going to talk about his new book that's out now in the autumn, Planting a Paradise. You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes we talk about on this podcast by heading to the show notes or at sarahraven.com forward slash podcast.